Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi everyone, Simon here. Hope you are all good. Before I get to this week's guest, I have an announcement to share with you. We are changing the name of this podcast. Now, for a bit of backstory, the reason this podcast was called Don't Tell Me The Score was because it was due to go on BBC Radio 4's Today programme. And the idea was to differentiate these conversations from normal sports coverage, which focuses on things like tactics and, crucially, scores, hence the name. However, this podcast is clearly about life lessons gleaned from the amazing people I've been lucky enough to speak to over two and a half years and 150 plus episodes. We've done some research and what it shows us is that Don't Tell Me The Score does not explain what this podcast is all about and can even leave some people thinking it's about, say, football, when clearly it's about life, using sport as a prism or as a window through which to explore it. So the new Ron Seal-esque title will be Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. We'll be making the change officially in the next few weeks. Nothing else will change, certainly not the content, And you're not going to have to do anything at all. Now, do let me know your thoughts about this news. Drop me a message via my website, simonmundy.com. You might as well sign up for the weekly newsletter full of all the best nuggets while you're there. Or do let me know your thoughts on social media. I'm at Simon Mundy on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. To this week's episode now, though, with the four-time Ironman world champion, the woman who, and I quote, doth bestride her sport like a colossus, the peerless Chrissy Wellington. Now, the theme of this episode is 
around trusting your intuition. But we also discuss connection, what we can learn from children, how we all have innate and intrinsic value, and much more besides. So without further ado, I bring you Chrissy Wellington. Chrissy Wellington, how are you? Very well. It's uh, so wonderful to be back on the podcast. I have been crunching the numbers and it's two years since you were last on the podcast, August 2019. Well worth going back and listening to that if you haven't already. That was on the BBC, BBC Sounds. You share loads of lessons and nuggets, particularly around not just surviving, but thriving during the pain of an Ironman competition, which can be related to any sort of circumstance in life. But since we recorded, I've been very fortunate to develop a friendship with you. We've spoken lots. We've put our heads together on a few projects. And this is something that I'm very appreciative of, of the podcast generally is developing friendships with many of my listeners, many guests, international athletes, Olympic champions, psychologists, whoever they may be. Developing those relationships, genuine relationships and friendships has been amazing. And you clearly, for me, fall into that bracket. I really appreciate the friendship that we've been able to develop and getting to know you. So Chrissy, the person beyond your athletic achievements, which are legendary. You're a four-time Ironman world champion, undefeated world record holder. It compares with what anyone's achieved in any sport, but getting to know you the person, your values, your humility, your kindness, your humor, just simply you, the person. That's what I'm really grateful for. Just getting to know you on a level. It is something I'm hugely grateful for. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate that. That's, it's very humbling. Um, and it just speaks to the importance of connection. And it's the one thing we found, I'm sure we've all found really hard over the past year is the inability to connect in a really rich and meaningful way with people. But nonetheless, we have been brought together, maybe in ways we wouldn't have envisaged using technologies that we may not be familiar with and we're not very adept at using. Um, I speak for myself, but it really is important. And going forward, I hope that we, you and I, but you know, society more generally, doesn't lose that ability to connect in a meaningful way because I think it's what we've missed I think it's what we took for granted and hopefully it's what we'll invest time in going forward. It's very true that connection is so important very few things rank more highly in terms of our needs bar for example food drink and shelter certainly for me connection is one of if not my highest value I'm lucky enough to do work that tallies with that, but it's become into such sharp focus during lockdown. If I neglect that part of my life with people I care about, with friends, with family, then I pay a bit of a price. And so the importance of connection has been brought into even more sharp focus for me over the last 18 months or whatever with the lockdowns and the pandemic. Has it been brought into sharper focus for you too? I think there are many different aspects to connection. Um, so there's that connection with 
others, with your family, with your friends, with your work colleagues. And, and obviously there's been changes to that through, through the pandemic and, and some have been incredibly difficult being, being apart from, from loved ones and seeing your loved ones apart as well. You know, for example, our daughter not being able to hug her grandparents. So that's been really difficult. But what it has brought me is, I think, a connection with myself. So it's given me the chance to create space for myself and to slow down a little bit and to understand a bit more about who I am, what's important to me, what I what I care about, what, what my purpose is. So it's given me that. I think a deeper connection with myself and a deeper connection with the environment, the world around me. We moved to a, a small rural village in, in Somerset, but really the, our whole experience of living here is, has been during the pandemic. So it's enabled me to connect a lot more with, with where we live and, and my natural environment. And as someone that has spent a lot of time, like you, traveling, like many athletes, traveling all over the world, flying into different places, and, and that's an absolute privilege and a blessing. But it's been nice to connect with, with where I live. So, yeah, I, I think, in short, I've connected on, on many different fronts and hopefully will focus on nurturing that over, you know, over the years ahead. When we spoke previously, we spoke about, for example, how you tried to adapt your self-talk and you'd struggled at times with a bit of an abusive inner critic. When you were younger, you um, had a, an eating disorder. And so for me, connecting to self is about self-acceptance. What does it mean to you? It means understanding who I am. And when I transitioned away from professional sport that was a really challenging time because it brought all of those things into question so I I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what mattered to me and I didn't know what my purpose was at least I didn't have that that clarity so for me it's it's that clarity of of purpose that's that's so so important and then underpinning that understanding really what my values are and, and what values are really yeah. I want to live by what would you say your values are humility reliability <laughs> reliability um dependability um trustworthiness I'd like to think I was motivational and, and inspirational and you know, we all want to try and live by those values. It's it's work in progress, isn't it? Yeah. And when it comes to self-acceptance, because you have obviously been driven to some degree by a little bit of disquiet at times, where are you or how are you in terms of self-acceptance now? Because we all have things that we like about ourselves more than other parts, perhaps. But um, I think a realisation for me has been around understanding that the rough comes with the smooth. So the good comes with the bad. And for me, it's understanding that, yes, we have those bits that we like, but also you need to give that same love to the bits that we don't like. That's been my big revelation. Where are you at with self-acceptance? 
Um, I think it's been really important for me not to be as self-critical because that it, it's incredibly debilitating. <laughs> for me, not labeling things as good and bad is really, really important. And that's something our daughters taught us. There's, there's not good or bad feelings or emotions. They just, they just are. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's, that's really, really important. I'm, I, I've learned a lot from, you know, just, you know, from, from being a parent. And I was guilty initially, Simon, of wanting her to be perfect. And I'm really ashamed to admit that, seeing her as an extension of me. So wanting her to be happy all the time, wanting her to be very forthcoming when she met people that she knew or that she didn't know, hating it when, you know, she'd tantrum like all children do or cry over something that we think is is totally irrational as children actually do hmm. and I realized that all of those emotions that she's experiencing are not good or bad and it's not for me to judge them they they just they just are and you and, and you work with them and children are such a <laughs> they're, they're such great teachers you know We've spoken a bit about the power of intuition, you know, and I, I, I trust my intuition a lot. I've used it to guide me throughout my life and, and to step off the path in, in, in you know, at, at many different times. And children are very intuitive, aren't they? And, and instinctive. And I think we can learn a lot from that because I think our intuition is very, very powerful. And there can be kind of paralysis by analysis, as my old coach used to say, you overthink everything. But inside, if you give yourself a bit of space that maybe we've had over the past year, some of us, not, you know, obviously not all of us have been that fortunate. But if you have that space, that that quiet, you you intuitively know and instinctively know what what is what is right and I, and I think children do that too absolutely and as you know I'm a big believer in in what they can children and babies and stuff can teach us and we've spoken about this before in terms of Esme your daughter just being she just is and that's enough and I think we sometimes lose sight of the fact that just being is enough and I think um now that's perhaps something we'll we'll come back to, and and just you touch being, you... just being in terms of the way she acts, but just being in that in that moment. Yeah, you know she is present in a way that I envy <laughs> so much. You know they're they're just present. They're not thinking about what are they going to cook for dinner tomorrow. Now have I taken the meat out the fridge? What did I say at the party wrong last night? Nothing like that. <laughs> No, they're not. They're just looking that that ladybird or that leaf or that that beetle or you know flying over the cut on their knee. And so yeah, that 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 ability to be present. And you think as an athlete, that's one of your key skills. If people say, you know, how do you cope with pain? How do you cope with comfort? I say, well, I'm I'm very much in the moment. You segment the race or the training session down. And you very much focus on the moment. And I'd like to think that I was good at that, but sometimes I'm, I'm really not. 
<laughs> yeah, of course, right? And certainly not as as we get older. But so just to go back to the child analogy again. So, you know, like you say, children are naturally very present. They just, they are. I would say they they are and they're aware. For example, you said about you know, there are no feelings that are good or bad. You know, their feelings are just feelings. They're just there to, to tell us something. And it's the narrative that we attach to them that makes feelings bad, for example. And that got me thinking in terms of you as an athlete, because so the pain that you experienced training or when racing, you could get a good narrative around that in your head because in training, you knew that the suffering that you were going through, for example, was feeding into the bigger goal. So to me, there's something really around the narrative that we attach to, like you say, feelings and emotions and, and stuff like that, that are inherently neutral. I think contemporary society wants everything to go perfectly. We have these airbrushed images of people's lives. We hear about people's successes and and what they've achieved and you know what they're able to afford and the you know the beautiful clothes they wear and we want everything to go perfectly but life isn't like that and a race is a microcosm of that and it's a race is and a sporting career and life generally is beautiful because you are encountering triumph and disaster in Rudyard Kipling's words, you know, the highs and the lows. That's what makes it beautiful. And that, you know, so I always went into your way, so to your point about pain and discomfort, it's about framing it through a different lens. So instead of fearing it and worrying about it, I accepted it but also, to your point, embraced it. And in that way, it was a perfectly natural state for me to be in when I was training, when I was racing, to be in a state of of discomfort and pain and be comfortable with that. So I think reframing it as something positive and as a growth opportunity for me was really, really important. I also coped with it like I mentioned before, just by breaking the race down. So all these kind of psychological strategies you have, breaking the race down, you know, having a mantra, all of those, you know, positive um, visualisation techniques, the power of recollection, Simon. You know, every race I ever did, I wanted to quit. And so I, I, you know, I recalled those moments in the next race, and and obviously knew that I was able to to override the feelings or that they that they were ephemeral and, and wouldn't wouldn't last. So I think in I guess to summarize, what we need to accept is that life is is not perfect, but that's what makes it perfect. And that's what my last race taught me. It was an absolute car crash. <laughs> well, it was in terms of all the different things I encountered before and and the pain and discomfort I went through during. And I managed to achieve more than I ever, ever imagined possible. But I also realised that not everything in the lead up, not everything in that race went perfectly 
But yet, it was the most perfect of races. And that that was so that was so liberating. Um, and I think taught me that we achieve not despite of adversity, but probably because of it. Yeah. You quoted Rudyard Kipling, so you know, the highs and lows of life and and this comes back as well to that what I was saying about self-acceptance or acceptance generally is that, you know, we are obviously we have a natural inclination to want to cling to, quote unquote, positive experiences, good experiences and push away bad experiences, feelings, thoughts, whatever they may be. But it's that constant cycle of grasping and pushing away. That's the suffering. A high is only a high because it comes with a low. So it's if you can treat those those the same then you know you can drastically reduce the amount of suffering that you experience and that's obviously you know what you were able to do within a race in particular were you able to take that lesson from your racing in and have have you been able to then apply that more broadly into life racing for me was it was a a season of life and i applied it when I transitioned away from professional sport, because that was a really challenging time. It was a very uncomfortable time. So not a physically uncomfortable time, like in a race, but a psychologically uncomfortable period. And don't get me wrong, Simon, I was so fortunate and blessed to have a career as a professional athlete. And you know, as an athlete, that you have to move away and transition away from the sport at some at some point. But the the challenges and some of the tragic challenges that, 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 that people face retiring from professional sports speaks to how difficult it is. And you know, it's analogous maybe to, to people that move away from a career in the military. You have a very regimented life. You have a, a goal. You have a purpose. You have an identity that is wedded to, um, for me, a, a, an outcome. And you have financial security. You have, you know... the isolation all of those things and all of a sudden you 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 go into a space where like I said before you don't know who you are what matters to you how you should, should spend your day how you're going to earn a living why people value you if you're if it's not for the label you've attached to yourself so I think that was a period in my life where I had to cope and be comfortable with a void, with a with a a not knowing. And as as humans and as athletes, especially, oh my gosh, we crave control. We want to control everything. I want to control what I eat, how much I sleep, you know, who who does who does my massage, what my what my bike mechanic is is doing. You know, I want to control the money shy I want to control everything but yet you can't and I felt I felt very out of out of control um when I when I transitioned away from sport but in all honesty that's why I needed to do it because the the easiest thing for me 
especially psychologically, would have been to have remained as a professional athlete for all the reasons I said. You know, I was a, a winning athlete. I'd I'd achieved a lot. I had structure and focus. I had financial security. My my partner then, my now husband, was was also an athlete, and it was very easy to stay in that comfort zone. And and some would think it's slightly ironic to call a, you know, a, a, an Ironman, you know, career, you know, a comfort zone. But for me, it was. And to be out of my comfort zone was to leave that and to be comfortable in the not knowing. And I think we shy away from, from that, don't we? Because we want that certainty. And we're, we're afraid to step off the path. We want cast iron guarantees that if I leave this career, I've, I can achieve this in, in my next career. Or if I achieve this relationship, I'll, I'll meet, meet someone else. Or, and sometimes life isn't like that. And I, I've stepped off the path and I've stepped into the unknown. And that's, in retrospect, where all the incredible opportunities have arisen and where all of my my growth has has taken place. So stepping off the path for me into the unknown whilst uncomfortable is has been really, really important. Yeah. Certainty, I mean, is an illusion. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen half an hour from now, really, let alone tomorrow or next year or whatever. I mean, the last year's really sort of proved that. Um, and before we dive into intuition in particular, I just want to ask you, because you, you mentioned there about, and identity is something I think we'll come back to, but you mentioned there about, you know, when you transitioned out of being an elite athlete, you questioned, do I have value? And I know, obviously, you were very academic at school. And you said that you felt like you needed a label to validate that academic success, which is what led you to initially pursue a career in law. Do you think now that you understand that your value is innate? And we've spoken about this with Esme, like, you know, she doesn't have to do anything or that any child doesn't have to do anything to have innate value. And yet often as we get older we lose sight of that fact. But are you in touch with that innate value in yourself now more or not? I understand with clarity what my purpose is. I'm increasingly understanding what my, what my value is as a, as, as a person. But I think it's, I think it's working. I think it's work in progress for me. Um, it was a really important point in my life where I realised that I wasn't living a life that was authentically me, that I'd lost sight of what actually mattered to me. And you mentioned me transitioning away from from that focus on law. And, and it was, you know, that was quite the inflection point, I think, because like you said, I'd achieved my my academic goals. I'd signed for a law firm in London and I went travelling, took a gap year prior to, to, to starting my law conversion course and then starting work. And it was in Africa that I saw things that 
inspired and, and, and troubled me in equal measure. You see the beauty and you see the absolute abject poverty, but it ignited this, this fire in me and precipitated a lot of questions. And I, I spoke to a friend that I'd made in Africa and she said something quite profound and it was Chrissy, look deep inside yourself and work out what the passion really is. And I hadn't done it, Simon, because I, as you mentioned before, was following a path that was expected of me. And I wanted the label, I wanted the validation, but it wasn't, I wasn't living my, my authentic life. And so I did a lot of introspection at that point and that was the first time I think in my life I'd I'd stepped off that path and instead of going into law did my MA in in international development up in up in Manchester and and that was that was really really important and a really important lesson to me about living authentically and rather than doing what was expected doing what I living a life that I felt fulfilled my purpose Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, yeah. Last thing on this, and that, excuse me for hammering the point, right? Because like I've said to you before, we had that chat, right, about, about Esme just being, right? So she doesn't have to do anything to have innate value, right? She, she doesn't even need to have a purpose to have innate value in your eyes. Is that true? That's true. So... My point, I guess, is our inability as we get older to turn that same view round on ourselves, because I totally get your point, right, around purpose and values, and I and I think those are fundamental to you know growing to be the person we we want to be. But at the same time, I think you need to have that understanding that whatever you do, whatever you achieve, or not that innate value is innate. It's a birthright, you know, and I think it's so obvious 
when a child is born that that is the case. And, you know, you see it in your daughter as clearly as, as anything, but then it's turning that around on ourselves that we're, sometimes we lose touch with. And I guess that was what I was getting at. Any just quick thoughts on that? It's really thought-provoking. I think we could talk for hours about it. I think what, what's been important for me is to move away from being Chrissy Wellington, four-time Ironman world champion, and that being the, the label that people are inspired by, and instead thinking more about the process that I went through to get there as being the thing that inspires people. So I'd, I'd hope that maybe, yes, people are, are inspired by that, by, by that label and that, and that title, but hopefully they're inspired by, you know, the, the integrity or, or the enthusiasm or the hard work or the drive or the dedication and, or, or, you know, all of those all of those things. So I've tried to focus on that and, and realise that I can I can touch people not so much from having that label, but from the way in which I I do things, if that makes sense. Definitely. Which leads us actually quite nicely into intuition. Now, as you know, I think in terms of sporting success stories or sporting champions that I have, either had the uh, fortune to interview or I've just researched or read about or whatever. I really think the way you followed your intuition, it was an exploration, wasn't it? There wasn't this early on, oh, I want to go and be four-time Ironman world champion, a break the world record holder. It never was like that. You followed your intuition and bobbed and weaved and and it led you there. So it was almost like that that sense of exploration and it just happened to be that waiting for you were four Ironman World Championship titles and the world record. And so, yeah, about that intuition, because as well, I know that you said that you are, you know, you are very, you're sensitive to the world around you. When you were overseas, that made you rethink your career in law. What do you think is the relationship between being sensitive and intuition? And what would be your words of wisdom on intuition? We lead... We lead really busy lives and, and I think people carry that busyness now with a with a badge of, of honour. But if we can find a bit of a space of quiet, I think we all have that intuition deep inside about what path we should take and, and what matters to us and, and, and what choices, quote unquote, right. But just to reflect back on what you were saying before, my you make it sound like I, I kind of fell into professional sport, and that that isn't necessarily the case. I think it's been, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to claim that I kind of just intuitively just followed this gut instinct, and oh my gosh, here I am as a as a professional athlete. It was a journey of of a a million steps it wasn't something that was you know predetermined and it wasn't something that unlike you know athletes like Serena Williams David Beckham it wasn't something that a Tiger Woods that I focused on from a very very young age um but I think all of the different steps I took in my in my life some of which had nothing to do with sport led me to to the door of 
of of professional sport I think it it was really important to me to surround myself with with the right the right people so I I trusted my intuition but I also relied heavily on others around me I think it's really important to be accepting of the unknown so to be accepting of that lack of of clarity about when you know if you decide to take a step you might not know what the outcome is but but that's that's okay keep things in perspective so you know always say you know what's the worst I can happen and ultimately think of think of the positives so for me when I transitioned away from working for the government into being a professional sports person I I knew that I never wanted to look back and think what if I never wanted to be left wondering so the the fear of doing it was outweighed by that 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 fear of of not knowing so many people have that choice point don't they and it's like okay which is the fear that wins let's say is it the fear of well if I don't go I'll never know if if I could have done that and but in terms of intuition you know for me, I think the more I listen to it, the more I trust it. And I've been asked how I would describe it. And to me, it is just this, uh, it's not a writing up a list of pros and cons or a, a list in my mind. It's just, just a feeling, really. And learning to trust it more and more and more has, in my experience, enabled me yeah, to trust it more and more. Have you developed trust in, in your intuition? And has it shown itself to be a really good guiding light for you throughout your life? We all have intuition. We don't always listen to it. I've tried to do that throughout the course of of my life. I think there are times when I haven't and I've regretted. I've regretted that. So I, I, I knew intuitively that law wasn't right for me. I knew intuitively that working in international development was I knew something was calling me to go and live and work in Nepal, even though we were just about to assume the presidency of the, the G8 and the EU and my job would, you know, I would have assumed a lot more responsibility in my job. I just knew intuitively I had to step off the path and go and, go and live and work in, in Nepal. Again, as a professional athlete, I was scared-less about, about that you know, for many, many different reasons. But again, did that. And again, when I moved away from it, intuitively, I knew that it was it was the right point for me. But, you know, there are times when I when I haven't listened to it. Um, so I, example, so I, I, I wrote my autobiography in 2010 and, and 11, and kind of was published in 2012. And we were looking for someone to write the forward for that and wanted it to be someone high profile because I wanted to get my autobiography into as many people's hands as possible. Not, you know, for financial reasons, but because I just felt that it was a really, I hoped it was a really inspirational story that could touch lives and, and inspire people and so I wanted someone that had a high profile that would capture the public's attention and I was asked by the publisher whether whether Lance Armstrong 
would be an appropriate person to write a forward. And I had known, obviously we all know of, of Lance, but um, knew how to get in contact him with him through a friend of a friend and so did so. And Lance Armstrong used to be a triathlete when when he was a teenager and then, you know, moved in, into cycling. And I approached him about writing the foreword and he wrote the foreword and it was published in my autobiography. And intuitively, I knew, Simon, that that was the wrong decision because I, I, I instinctively knew that his values didn't match mine and at that point we didn't know of his past but I think deep down like many people we we suspected that he wasn't racing with integrity and I think deep down I knew that and I was blinded by this desire to maximize the reach of the book and maybe not pressurized by my publisher because I bear, I made the decision and the responsibility was mine. But it was a lesson to me that I needed to trust in in that instinct and that, and that intuition. And and it's you know obviously I, I can't undo that that decision, undo that choice. But I do now going forward trust in that little little inner voice and it sometimes comes before you've done all of the pros and cons lists that you see before you even do that and someone gave me a piece of advice um you know when I, I don't know what decision I was trying to make they were just like just make a decision if it's a or b just make a decision to go to b and see how it makes you feel and and see what that emotion is, and if if it feels wrong, you know that that's not the right path. And that's that I don't know. That's always struck me, and I've I've used that a number of a number of times because we all have that voice. We all know what aligns with our values and and what really matters to us, and what in, is instinctively and intuitively right. But sometimes we don't listen to it. Yeah, I completely agree. Even down to simple things like lots of people get in touch with me to come on Don't Tell Me The Score. And generally speaking, I've always listened to it. And there's been once or twice I haven't. And I, I think I, I've learned that, that it's, it tends to be right, you know. And, and like you say, it does come before pros and cons. I think you can write pros and cons to the cows come home and you use the word actually knowing so we all have it and it's just a question of having more faith in it and trust in it and allowing it to show you that actually it can be trusted anyway let's move on because time pressure is slightly against us and there's two more things i want to talk to you about first of all i just want to quickly talk to you about your coaching and we've we've spoke about um something that comes up a lot is the difference between training in sport and the training in, in real life so Clive Woodward talks about teacups, so thinking correctly under pressure. Danny Carey had Thinking Thursday, where the whole team would be put under so much pressure so that they learnt how to react when the um, situation actually required it. And this is what happened for you in your training as well, wasn't it? I I had two coaches in, in my triathlon career. 
and they were very, very different characters, Simon. So the first one, quite a controversial character, we don't need to go into it here, had a very authoritarian, commanding style. It was it was very top-down. He gave the order and I executed. And when I first went to him, I actually went to him for a kind of a test test week to see whether he thought I cut the mustard as a professional athlete. And he said, Chrissy, physically, yeah, you got what it takes, but I'm going to have to cut your head off. And it, it talks to the fact that we need to hone ourselves psychologically as well as physically when, you know, when in life, but when we're, when we're athletes and I was very over-analytical, as we spoke about before, very self-critical. And I think he recognized that that would be debilitating. I also got quite flustered under pressure. Um, and I was concerned about what others thought of me. And so he threw me, in retrospect, deliberately into very uncomfortable situations to force me, to Clive Woodward's point, teacup point, to, to think and act rationally and carefully un, under pressure. And that was what I needed to work on. I could, you know, annihilate myself physically, Simon. Honestly, I had all this you know, the drive and determination. But there were other things I didn't quite have a handle on. So he put me in very uncomfortable situations. He engineered uncomfortable relationships between myself and, and my teammates. He put me into races where I I questioned his his rationale. And it was all, I think, to carve me into a, a, an athlete that was capable of of withstanding the pressure that you encounter in in endurance racing and so whilst i don't think his authoritarian commanding style was necessarily sustainable he helped build my i think my psychological arsenal which enabled me to succeed and he was the one that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and we spoke before about how does one become world champion when world Ironman champion when when I became a professional athlete I didn't even want to do an Ironman so how do you go from that to that and I don't have the answers I think firstly you just take these iterative steps and you slowly prove to yourself that you're capable of, of so much more than you think. But secondly, you need people like my first coach that can set a goal for you, maybe even without telling you. So I I know now that Brett, my first coach, thought I could become world champion, but yet he never told me. He carved out a program with that as the end goal without ever saddling me with the expectation, some would say burden, of that. So it was my responsibility to execute in training, day in, day out, and on race day. 
And that's what his kind of authoritarian style gave me. He didn't give me a goal. He just told me to execute the best I possibly could on the day. Whilst it was empowering in a certain sense, I don't think that that top-down relationship was sustainable. And I moved coaches. I went to my second coach, Dave Scott, who is an extremely successful Ironman athlete in his own right. But it was a much more reciprocal, holistically empowering relationship based on respect and friendship and a willingness of Dave to learn from me as much as it was me to learn from from Dave. And I believe that's what makes a good coach, that they have the expertise, they have the skill, they empower you as a an athlete and as a person, but they're also willing to learn. And and that was that was really important. And that's what Dave gave to me. So I, I can compare and contrast the, you know, the, the the two styles of of coaching and both enabled me to achieve success. I think I know which one I prefer. <laughs> In the longer term. Yeah. But the one thing I guess that Brett definitely did do was put you under pressure intentionally to enable you to be able to cope with pressure when it counted. You know, like you said yourself, like you physically you were there, your determination to run yourself into the ground was there, but the pressure part got to you. But he put you in those situations and grew that particular comfort zone. And I just think there's a lot to be said for putting yourself in uncomfortable positions because that's the only way they are going to become comfortable. And he also liberated me from that self-criticism and self-flagellation. Because... <laughs> Life was very simple under him. He gave me the training session. I executed, did the best I could. I drew a line under it. So there wasn't space for me to reflect on, oh, was it good? Well, I didn't do this right. I didn't do this right. I wasn't very good at this. It just was. And then you move on. And I follow the next order. So in, in, in many respects, he helped me quieten that voice the chatter yeah uh, yeah the the constant kind of critical banter that like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um now i want to talk to you i want to finish off by talking about one of your latest ventures so you dipped your toe back into the world of being an author again so two new books out you're so amazing and you're so strong and these are books for children right so to really empower them so just in a nutshell, because this, this does come back to really your values. And also, it, I think it links nicely with what we were saying about what we can learn from children. And as children age, they can sometimes mm. lose sight of that intrinsic value that is innate. So, yeah, just talk to me a little bit about what inspired you to do this. And more importantly, like what message you are trying to, to get across, really. Um, when I transitioned away from professional sport, I wanted to use this incredible platform to inspire positive change and to improve people's holistic health and well-being. And I was really fortunate become involved with Park Run and now work as, as global health and well-being lead for Park Run. And I feel that as part of my or I, I feel that through this role I can really impact people in, in quite a a profound and varied way. But I also wanted another channel to 
impart some of the the key life lessons that 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 I've learned and that I'd hope to impart to our daughter and a one of the best channels to do that is is through the the written word and so last year I became connected with Susie Bush Ramsey who was an amazing track and field international track and field athlete in in her own right and had established a or created a mindfulness program called uh, seven simple steps and like me she was looking at a way of empowering children and and young people and had come up with the concepts of of these two books essentially using nature and children's interactions with with nature to impart some really valuable life lessons so it's in you're so amazing it's the interactions between a a girl and a flower and in you're so strong um brother and a sister and and a tree and through nature we can we can be taught all of these amazing lessons about dreaming big about love about faith about the power of positive self-talk about nurturing ourselves with good food and 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 movement and so really for us they want we wanted these books to be a conversation starter especially coming out of a time where children's physical and mental well-being has been so profoundly impacted so what we hope is that these books inspire and in and encourage not only children but but also adults to take simple steps to look after themselves to take care of themselves and to be empowered to be the very best versions of themselves chrissy eloquent beautifully put I take my hat off to you for everything you've achieved, but particularly as well, this latest venture of yours. I think it's, uh, like you say, children have really been affected, I think, by lockdown. You know, we've got a six-year-old and I've really noticed it. And actually, a little exercise we do it last thing at night, and I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is, is we've started doing, you know, something that made you happy, something that made you sad, something that made you worried, something that made you excited. And... So they start learning, she started learning the language of emotions and it's been really, really powerful. But I just think, yeah, like you say, for a, for a group that has had so much of their life taken up by what we've all gone through over the last year, I, I really um, think what you're doing is very admirable, very important. And, I, um, and I'm proud of you yet again. So I will, I will leave it there. Uh, Chrissy, thank you very much for coming on. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of yours as an athlete and as a person, more importantly. So uh, just uh, lovely chatting as ever. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and a huge thank you to Chrissy Wellington. A quick reminder, the big news We will be changing the name of this podcast in the next few weeks to Life Lessons from Sports and Beyond. As the saying goes, it does what it says on the tin. Do get in touch and let me know your thoughts about the change via my website, simonmundy.com. You can email me there or get in touch on social media at Simon Mundy on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. Like I said, You won't notice any other changes. You don't have to do anything. And I do hope it won't affect 
your desire to keep listening to the podcast at all. So I do really look forward to hearing from you about this. And until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.